Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. You're listening to Achtung Noor. Broadcasting from the beautiful South Hello dear listeners, welcome to Act on the Wall. My name is Nick Hart. You are listening to a special series of Christmas editions, given that we seem to be on the verge of a lockdown-ish kind of period where we might not get an awful lot of football one way or the other. So the idea occurred to me, um, based on a couple of things really, based one on the uh, silly as it sounds, the Antiques Roadshow, and the other on a series of podcasts that the BBC put out a few years ago called, um, it was either 50 or 100 Objects That Changed World History. Big subject, big ambition, and the Antiques Roadshow, which I love, I don't know about you, I love all that kind of um, country auction driving around like Lovejoy, turning up at stately homes and looking at old bits of tap that you can then resell for, for money. I like that idea. It's me. So I've got the idea that we could possibly mash up the BBC's great objects that change world history, such as the first stylus to make writing, the first yoke to bring oxen into agriculture, all that kind of thing. Combine it with a bit of Antiques Roadshow and think about some Millwall antique objects that people have sent me images of over time, or that I've just picked up images of over time, or that I've just seen in books over time. So we're going to be, you know, applying this very <laughs> idea very loosely. And the first problem with it, of course, is that audio podcasts are not a visual medium, so you can't see what I'm talking about. I will put pictures that I've got, so I've lifted on social media so you can see the thing that I'm going to try and describe and talk about and we'll see if this idea works it might be a right old rotter it might it might go nowhere I don't know but if you don't try these things uh, if you don't try new ideas in this world in this life nothing ever changes dear listeners does it so anyway we're going to press on with our first mobile object of interest that's fallen into my inbox or lap or bookshelf over the time as I say, I'm going to apply this very liberally, one way or the other. So, you know, uh, I make no claim of ownership of any of this. I don't actually collect stuff, but a lot of people around the mill scene do. In particular, a good friend of mine, Andy Sullivan, who has sent me a picture of a, of a cap that he's acquired. It is a, uh, a football association cap, 
1925 to 26 season. It um, belongs to Len Graham. And Len Graham was, it's going to turn the pages to my mill who's who, Leonard Graham, mill player, 1923 to 34, 362 games for the Lions and eight goals. He was a left half, so a left-sided midfielder in modern parlance. Um, born in Leighton, uh, 29th of August 1901, he died in Kensington in London, 21st of December 1962. He was a one-club man, really. A very interesting character. He was, his first club was a club called Capworth United, and he played for Leytonstone, uh, where he was spotted by the mill manager of the day, the legendary figure of Bob Hunter, who signed him for the Lions in October 1923. Injury forced him out of the professional game in 1934. And he then went on to play and coach both football and cricket in Holland, in The Hague, in Holland, Den Haag. Um, July 1936 to 39, um, and he would then become a publican upon his return just prior to the outbreak of World War II, became a publican, running a, a pub in the West End, um, and also in Bethnal Green as well. So Len Graham, Leonard Graham, Len Graham, 362 games and eight goals. He represented England. He's our most capped England player, dear listeners. He's probably a little-known figure really, in modern times. He had two caps for England. Two games against Scotland in 1925 in the in the uh, the British Home Championship, British Championship, Home Internationals, whatever you want to call them. Played against Scotland in February 1925, a 2-0 nil, a win for the Scots on that occasion. And then a 2-1 win for England against Wales in Swansea on the 4th of April 1925. Those were his two caps. The... The actual um, cap that Andy sent me is a trials cap, so it's not a full England cap. The thing is a, it's aged. I mean, it's 1925-26 season. It was purple and white um, quarters, I suppose you'd call that. Um, quite a striking looking thing, very much like an old school cap. Anyone that's ever had a school cap, I have had a school cap. Have you had a school cap, listeners? When I first went to Castlecombe, they still had the um, custom of giving school caps. So that kind of rounded head style cap with a very small brim. Um, got shot of it as soon as I started, bloody old Mottingham, you know, we walk around with a school cap on. But these old caps were given out for, as, and I think I believe still are, for full international appearances. And on this occasion, a trials game. And this was given to Len Graham on the occasion of England versus the rest. So this was a game played between, I suppose you call it probables versus possibles. Um, you see those games from time to time, in, particularly in rugby. I don't know if they still do it in professional era rugby, but certainly it wasn't that long ago that I remember seeing possibles versus probables as one of the scorelines in rugby union trials games. But this was a, a trials game played at the Den on the 18th of uh, January, 1926, a 1-0 win for the rest the rest versus England. The rest beat England 1-0. Uh, Len would actually play, in addition to his two full international caps, he'd actually get one, two, three, four trials caps for the um, either you know the rest or England. Uh, games played in Manchester, the Den 5. This I believe that's this particular cap. That's certainly what it's listed as on on the, uh, the auction site that Andy sent me the screenshot of. Um, also games at Newcastle and Chelsea. Also playing in this particular trials game was another Millwall player, Bill Bryant, played for 
the rest um, versus England. As I say, it was a 1-0 win, and I do have, via the miracle that is the British newspaper archive, I do have a match report. This is, strangely enough, from the Dundee Herald, Dundee Courier, forgive me. Um, fine goalkeeping in an EFA trial match. England nil, the rest won. A goal by Bullock, six minutes from the uh, finish, enabled the rest to beat England in the FA trial at the Mill Grounds yesterday. Um, although unable to trust the particularly slippery foothold, the forwards of England at the outset gave a clever display. Walker, Barry and Osborne fitting in well together. Hill was a tower of strength for the rest his heading being very valuable, whilst Graham, Alan Graham, was earning golden opinions by his constructive work at left half for the rest. Um, the report continues on. Um, I won't read it all out, listeners. Um, the halfbacks made many mistakes, but Hill throughout played finely, while Graham, if not quite at the same level as the Burnley man, he's playing with um, a Burnley um, colleague, he proved that he can bring brains into play. So brains... Um, from Len Graham. Uh, the rest side was Pim in goal, Smart of Aston Villa and Mort also of Aston Villa, W.J. Bryant of Millwall, Hill of Burnley, that would be the, the oppo that um, the report mentioned, Len Graham of Millwall, York of Aston Villa, Carter, West Brom, Bullock, um, Elks of Tottenham Hotspur and Lieutenant Hogan of the Army in this particular trials game. Um, there we are. I don't really get those events anymore, do you? I suppose it's all done behind closed doors. This was played on a Monday afternoon, strangely, on Monday the 18th of January. This report is from the Dundee Courier, dated the 19th, the day after. Um, and it's a fine piece of memorabilia. Um, as I say, the original would have been purple and white quarters. Age has made... The- the white go very, very yellow over the years. Obviously, we're pushing towards 100 years ago now that this, this game was played. And um, the, the, the white quarters are, are yellow. Andy did um, kind of get an opinion as to whether it should be cleaned. I, I think I'd be very wary of cleaning it, to be absolutely honest, for the possible damage that might, um, you know, it might, it might cause such an old, old piece of cloth. Um, the FA logo is quite interesting. It's kind of a... Um, I don't know if what the, the the proper term is like a like a a combination of the F and A in a very heraldic style. It's it's quite nice. I quite like it. But no free lines on it. I believe you only get those for the full England caps, which Len would of course win twice over. He remains our um, most capped international. Um, I did find some interesting bits of information on a football website, great football website called England Football Online. Um, so yeah, Leonard Graham was born in 1901 at 237 Church Road in Leighton in Essex. Um, son of John, a telegraph instrument maker, apparently. Um, his football career would be Leighton Stone, basically, in, in the non-leagues and then Millwall. Um, he also played cricket. He played cricket with Essex, Essex County Cricket Club. He played twice for Essex, scoring 14 runs in all in the county championship. And as we've said already, he would coach football and cricket in the Netherlands, in The Hague. And he went on an FA tour of Australia in 1925. His major tournaments was that were those um, two British Championship, British Home Internationals. He had various names over the years. Home Internationals, I always think of them as of 1924-25. One interesting um, 
point that's kind of slightly un, unfootball related. He was part of a test legal case in 1934 um, concerning the obligations of professional footballers to pay into the National Insurance Scheme. That had come in with the 1911 National Insurance Act. And there was a test case taken by the Football League in conjunction with Len Graham um, as to whether professional footballers earning above £250 per annum, which was probably a decent sum of money back in those times, had the obligation to pay into the National Insurance Scheme. And the judge in the case, who was a judge uh, named Mr Justice Roach of the King's Bench Division, um, he gave judgment in what was deemed to be a friendly test case. Um, he decided that um, footballers and professional cricketers are engaged in, in to amuse and entertain other people at playing a game. For these reasons, the justice held that the man is employed not by way of manual labour and is therefore not insurable. Um, this would have been good news, I suppose, for Len in the very short term and the, and the football clubs more generally because it would have reduced their liabilities to pay into the insurance scheme. Short-sighted, of course, because... Um, uh, in the end, um, yeah, he may well have needed to have called upon that when he gets got older and uh, unable to look after himself. But anyway, that's that's a different subject. Um, so yeah, he Len was Len was part of that test case alongside the the football league. He would later become a cricket coach at Merchant Taylor School in Northwood, and he was appointed also as an FA instructor Kent Secondary School Boys in 1935. Um, he would then become a publican after his stint in the uh, in the in, in the Netherlands, uh, running a pub in Charing Cross. Um, Len Graham, Millwall's most capped English player. Achtung, Millwall. So whilst we're on the subject of headgear, dear listeners, I thought I might as well actually include a second Millwall item of cultural and historical significance. In this show, we've already covered Len Graham's FA Trials cap, as you know, but I'm looking at an image of a late 1980s uh, Millwall and Celtic ski cap. Millwall and Celtic ski cap. Now, uh, for anyone who was around in the promotion season and then the, the first division days, the, you'll remember well the, the plethora of ski caps. This was a thing, listeners. Younger listeners probably may not understand this, but... It became the rage, the mode, the vogue to have a ski-style hat on your head on the terraces of Coldblow Lane at that time. And for reasons that have always beaten me, um, the there was a kind of like a half-and-half half scarf arrangement of having Millwall on one side of your ski hat and, on many occasions, a Scottish side on the other. And I remember well seeing, obviously, Rangers being the most obvious Scottish side, perhaps... Um, that's another debate in itself, isn't it? Um, it's Millwall and Rangers being the um, the most popular, I think, choice of Scottish sign to have on your ski hat. But I do remember seeing this particular version of Millwall and Celtic, which maybe isn't as immediately obvious. No reason why you wouldn't necessarily back Celtic if that's your familial origins or whatever whatever. Um, drives these these odd choices. I've always found it quite odd, if I'm going to be up front, um, the whole Millwall and idea of following another club um, on a par with Millwall always struck me as kind of odd. 
and the association, particularly with, with, with Scottish clubs. But I know that we are derived from um, partly from Scottish workers coming, coming down to uh, the Isle of Dogs back in 1885. Um, but they weren't necessarily from Glasgow, they were from other, other towns and cities of Scotland, Dundee, I think, particularly, but also Aberdeen, um, as well as Glasgow and Edinburgh. So anyway, um, this was a thing in the late 80s, wearing ski hats. And the image I'm going to put online is, is one actually from um, an auction, football memorabilia auction site. Um, can't tell you how much this went for. It's an old image. Um, again, that's another, you know, another world of fascination for me, the football memorabilia online market. But um, this is um, a real thing. I remember seeing Celtic, I remember seeing Hearts, the, um, the Burgundy and, 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 uh, and, and Millwall half and half hats. I don't remember seeing Hibs. You'd have to tell me, listeners, if you remember seeing any Hibs ones, but I do remember seeing Millwall and Celtic. And this is an example of, um, what should we call it? A split personality. <laughs> I don't know how you want to put it. Um, but there we are. It was very much a thing in the late 80s that you had these... Um, Quite cheaply made. I mean, the um, I don't. They weren't made out of wool. I think they're polyester. Um, often bought with the the Scottish sides. Often bought from the street vendors out there on Colblow Lane, rather than in the club shop. I think the club shop did do ski hats, and they did them only as Millwall, which you'd expect. Um, if you wanted to get a um, half and half ski hat, and many many did back then, they might not want to admit it now, dear listeners. But you had to go to the man standing with the um you know the portable setup on Colblow Lane. So there we are. Um a mill ski hat from the late 1980s. I remember seeing them particularly in the promotion season 88, 87, 88, and then the first division season 88, 89. They faded away, thankfully, after that, because they weren't the most flattering things to put on your head, but maybe they kept your head warm. I don't know. Um Mill and Celtic ski hat from the late 1980s. I will put these images online, along with Len Graham's FA Trials cap, um, which has a little bit more substance to it, perhaps. But I'm hoping that you're enjoying this little alternative series of Christmas shows of Millwall objects of historical and cultural significance. Um, we'll be back with another edition. I'm going to try and do these on the 12 days of Christmas. That might be a bit of a stiff order, but I will be back later on in the week with another version, another take of mill objects of interest. So thank you for listening, dear listeners. Hope you're enjoying the shows. And until the next edition, Arriva Dirty Mill and bye for now. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. 
Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.